And on the Sunday, um, I did start to feel worse. I'd, I'd explained to the midwife on the Saturday that I, my stomach felt tight and heavy. Um, but I'd also told her that I have a very high pain threshold as well. Um, but again, that was in hindsight, I can see now that I had all the signs of labor, but mm. because, of, because of the weeks of pregnancy, it didn't even enter my head and it didn't enter the head of the midwife either by the sounds things. Although she did make a comment when I showed her a picture of the um, blood that she said, Oh, if I didn't know any better, that looks like a show. <laughs> I know, um, but didn't do any better. So sent me, but home. You, do, you do know any better because you're a midwife. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yeah. So she should have done. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, I trusted her, and because it was in the middle of the pandemic, I was petrified about being in the hospital and being and putting myself and my family at risk. Um, so I, I did what she said. I went home, but yeah, on the Sunday, the the tightenings and the cramps got worse. And then uh, when I went to bed, it, the pain was so bad it woke me up out of my sleep. And so I knew then it was something wasn't right. So, but I still thought I had a water infection. I know they can be painful too. So I'd gone to the hospital. Um, I'd gone by myself because I'd left my husband at home with the kids I drove yeah. myself to the hospital I got there about half past four in the morning and I was taken to a room um where I remained until the next day um my husband he'd had a family emergency a couple of days before no sorry 12 days before it was um where he had to go to his grandma's house who lives a few doors down from us because his cousin had collapsed um and passed out and he had to go there and basically save his life um but his grandma was just diagnosed with covid at that point so um he was in full ppe and everything as well but because of that the hospital wouldn't allow him to come to the hospital come in so yeah. you had an even an added lack of support in comparison to the lack of support you felt you were getting from the hospital staff yes yeah, yeah, so I was on my own for a few hours and then luckily my sister, she came. Um, she got there about half past seven. But when I got there, they examined me and I remember, I mean, it, a lot of it is a blur, but I do remember the um, the doctor and the midwife went to examine me with the, the specular and they didn't even need it basically because when he bent down to look... You could he, see. Well, yeah, he, the doctor and the midwife visibly jumped back. I saw them visibly jump back. So that's when I knew something was wrong because there was like, they basically said the sack, the baby sack was so far down that there was nothing they could do. Um, I was already started in, I was already in labor. Um, they couldn't give me a stitch. And because of my weeks of pregnancy, they couldn't do anything to help the baby. Um, if I was 23 weeks or 24 weeks, then they may have been able to help the baby. Um, but because mm. I was 22 weeks and five days, they couldn't do anything. And that was what I was told. Basically, in layman terms, you're going to have your baby and he's going to die. And he's going to be classed as a miscarriage, is what they told me, because he was under 24 weeks gestation. Therefore, he's a miscarriage, which I couldn't believe because I just explained to you, I've had three miscarriages. Is, yeah. This is not the same. Yeah. I say, although they were significant, it's not the same. It was yeah. not the same. I'd been feeling my baby for weeks moving around kicking and punching me I've been talking to my baby you know we had a bond a full-on bond mm. um, so when they said that to me I couldn't get my head around it I had th- and I, they, I had three different doctors come in and tell me the same thing that you're gonna have your baby and he's gonna die and he's been cast as a miscarriage and I was on my own as well um, so by the time my sister got there she said that uh, a midwife I think had stopped her on the way and said oh just just to let you know we're gonna let nature take its course uh, um so but yeah they didn't even they didn't monitor me again because I was under 24 weeks so they don't monitor the baby under 24 so what weeks. you're saying to me is that if 
you were 22 weeks and five days when that happened, probably going into the 23 week period now. And there is no flexibility at all to even attempt to save a child that's coming early because of that seven day gap or eight day gap or nine day gap or whatever it is. Well, in my case, it was a two day gap, but yeah. Yeah, basically that's what they told me. And that is even with the fact that dating scans, we know, you know, that dating scans are not always accurate. So even what they had you, the dates that they had you, it could have been give or take a week, essentially. Well, the dating scans can only be accurate around around five days. Okay. So um, that my two day window is definitely within that. Within that. Yeah. Yeah. They so obviously since then, I know a lot now I've done a lot of research and I know a lot more now but at the time I didn't know anything this this wasn't even a possibility I'd got Mm. past the seven weeks which was always an issue for me I'd got past the 12 weeks I'd got past the 20 weeks I thought I was you know on a home on a home strip yeah yeah so it wasn't even a possibility for me I I went in there thinking I had a water infection I came home about a baby so that was that was the reality for me and they didn't explain anything to me they didn't have conversations with me they just told me you're going to have your baby and he's going to die and so yeah so my sister came in and Can I ask, sorry just sorry I know I keep interrupting but just really want um to get try and get all sides of this as well and, and, and around the emotion about this because for your husband, what correspondence did you have or communication were you having with him at that time when they were giving you this information and what was his response? So my first, to be honest with you, my first personal call was my mum. She was the first phone call I made. Um, I was too scared to call him mm-hmm. because we was under so much stress already with his dad and everything else. I was so scared to call him and give him that news. Um, and I did, I did ring him and I did explain to him and I, I was probably quite cold when I spoke to him because I think I was in shock so the whole time I was very um most of the time I was very in control as it would appear to somebody on the outside anyway um and I explained to him what the doctor said to me um unfortunately for him I don't know if I don't know if it was unfortunate or fortunate for him because one my friend who's also his cousin is a midwife and I believe he had a conversation with her and she told him that um, as soon as the baby's born, they will bring in the um, paediatricians and the neonate specialists and rush him off to a hospital where they can look after him. So he was very naive throughout the whole process, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I've walked, I'd had the conversation with him. And then after that, my sister was really liaising with him um, because I was in labour. So I wasn't... Um, in any fit state to be able to talk to anybody because it was still a labor like any other labor it's still just as painful like any other labor and but the difference was in this one instead of going with my body and doing what was natural when my body told me to push to push she was fighting that yeah yeah I, I crossed my legs and did a pelvic floor as yeah, what I yeah. did because I weren't letting this baby come out I was trying to keep my baby in for as long as I could and in fact I kept him in for nearly 12 hours after arriving at the hospital um and I had the I didn't have any I had a gas in there but that was it but that can make you a bit um bit lightheaded and not with it sometimes so um but I, what we'd agreed was because he couldn't be there that I would we would FaceTime him when his son was being born so he could very at the very least watch his son come into the world um and I knew again I'm so in tune with my body in that sense that I knew 
when he was going to come. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I went, I went through the labor. I mean, they done, they done all sorts of things to me. They'd put me on a bed, told me that, I, so lied me down, but tilted me up. So my bum was higher than my head and said that, you know, gravity was your friend. Hopefully it would come back down. But because they hadn't, again, hadn't had a conversation with me. They didn't actually know that mm. I was already having contractions that were already two minutes apart. Um, so actually it was futile what they did. It was actually in hindsight, quite distressing for me because I couldn't get up. I couldn't, we on a bedpan, you know, that's what it was like. I couldn't move trying to hold him in. Um, and then, yeah, so he was, he was born at 16, 14. And I remember a lot of it is a blur because I, I have, I suffered PTSD after having him. So in a, as a coping mechanism, I kind of blocked it out. But I do remember thinking, getting to a point where I was worried about him because, but the baby's eye on, because they weren't monitoring him. And so I didn't know if, if he was distressed or not. And I knew he'd been in labor, we'd been in labor for a long time. And I'd, at this point I got to a point where I felt like, okay, I think it's better for me, if for him, if he's out than in. Cause I just felt like that was distressing him, keeping him in. So I was like, right, this is this time now I'm going to, I'm going to push him out. So I got yeah. my sister to call my husband. So he was on the, he was on FaceTime. And I remember. I'm just trying, sorry. I'm just trying to imagine how in the middle of this situation, you're going through contractions, you know, that your baby is, you know, potentially too young to survive. Um, and you're having to make a decision in your mind whether you're going to let go and give birth to this baby and you are still thinking about he'll be distressed if he's in the womb and it's just the contractions that's and so having to make that kind of decision I can't imagine how agonizing that must have been for you although probably at the time with adrenaline and being in the in the moment it was just probably a matter of fact decision but the strength that you would have had to exhibit to even think that far I just think it's really commendable I just wanted to, to say that to you, you. Why, why you was there I couldn't imagine it I think you do that as you're you're as a mother you your instincts kick in yeah and you you do what you can for the best for your child, whether if that's only a little bit or a lot, you do what was it within your power. And at that time, I just, my instincts was telling me that he needs to come out now. Yeah. So um, I remember, I remember pushing, I remember doing that push, that last push, which, which I knew when I did the push, I knew that was the push to push him out. And I remember, I remember screaming. It was, well, crying. Mm-hmm. it wasn't, I wasn't a screaming pain. It was a cry because I knew that I was pushing him out, not to save him, but to kill him. Yeah. So that was that was the hardest moment for me because I knew that any other time you pushed him out, and you you can't wait to meet your child, and I was pushing him out, and I knew that he would he wasn't going to be safe if I, as soon as I pushed him out. But I had to push him out because he was no. I felt like he was no longer safe inside me. Inside. Um. So yeah. So I remember doing that, and it was actually amazing because nobody expected him to survive labor and I know that mm. they don't admit it but I know they didn't nobody expected him to survive labor because he was alive when he was born he was alive and everyone was everybody was so shocked they were like ah oh, he's alive he's alive and I remember the midwife literally just throwing him on my chest basically and he's lying on my chest and that's basically where he stayed until he died he he was there with me 
the so there was no there was no change to what the I guess the care plan or the treatment plan given the fact that he was born and he was breathing no and again at the time this is what I now find quite really difficult to to live with but at the time I didn't know any better so I just went with what what they said I mean Mm. I was in shock I didn't expect him to be born alive because the inclination they gave me that wasn't a possibility so when he was born alive I was so amazed I couldn't believe it and I remember I remember my sister my sister crying and I remember saying to her don't be sad because you get to meet your nephew Mm. and she me and her were the only people in my family that got to meet him and my um, I remember seeing my my husband looking over him over the FaceTime and thank God, thank goodness my sister had, had the initiative to take photos because that didn't enter my head. Yeah. Like I didn't, nobody else was there. My, the room, there was people, there was people, nobody else nobody was else around, around me. It was just me and my son. Do you think that you were still, I guess, hoping for a miracle? The fact oh, that he God. had been born breathing, even though they didn't act. Did you just, you probably was just thinking, you know, you maybe he's you've hit the nail on the head honestly like I'm not the most religious person I'm I'm very spiritual I wouldn't mm-hmm. say I'm very religious but when he was born I remember telling my sister get my phone go to all of my friends and tell them so they can pray for him mm. I remember, even I remember being, I, st- I was still so conscious there because I had, an, I had one friend who was pregnant at the same time as me and I knew that she suffers from anxiety and things anyway. So I purposely said, don't go into that group and tell them because I don't want her to be scared. Yeah. So I, but I said, everybody else, tell everybody else what's happened and tell them to pray. And I prayed, I prayed so hard. And I really did, I really had hope hope until the very end my little brother he was born prematurely he was born three months early and he's now 31 years old and he's still here he's a big strapping man so mm. I had that in my head that and his arm Paul yeah yeah my brother survived he's a little miracle. miracle it can happen so um yeah I did I did I remember I prayed and I prayed um and I can't even say that my prayers didn't work because I don't look at it like that. I look at it as my prayers did work because my son did survive. He defied all the Mm. odds. He survived. He didn't survive for as long as I wanted him to survive, but he survived long enough to no longer be called a miscarriage, to be called a viable life, to be a baby, to have his birth certificate and to have his death certificate and to be in the history books. And that fills me with so much comfort that one day, if my great, 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 great grandchildren want to look me up, and they look in the census and they will see I had four children and they're on record. So yeah. that is very important to me. Um, it's not can how, I ask, it's not how Can I ask, so Zion was born and he was breathing and you had that time with him and you say that no other, no change in the care plan was. And how, how, how long again was um, Zion breathing for? How long was he alive for? So he survived for 47 minutes on his own. Um, so, so almost an hour. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's a long time. Again, at the time at the time when it was happening, I was, like I said, I was in a state of shock. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know 
I didn't know what the options were. I didn't know anything. I just knew my son was here and I wasn't letting him go. You know, yeah. like I was with him. And, and do you think now in, with your research and in hindsight and, and all the rest of it, do you think now that there would have possibly been something that could have been done if they had acted? So the sad thing is now, now I've done a lot of research and I know that I know there definitely was things they could have done. Um, for me, it was, it's, it's, been, it's, still, it's still a journey. It's two years on nearly and it's still a journey because I'm still fighting for him now because um, now I know there is a lot they could have done. And like we discussed earlier, they go from the 12 weeks dating scan, but we know that they can only be accurate for around five days. Mm-hmm. I was 22 weeks and five days at the time in the hospital. I said, I said to the consultant, can you scan him and can you check that he is the right age? Because my children don't grow to the normal bog standard. Tiles. Yeah. Yeah. And I've proved that with my daughter before because she had the extra scan and you can see where she was all up and down all over the place on the growth chart. Mm-hmm. But they didn't, they didn't listen. They didn't listen to me, so they didn't take. They didn't do that. Um, and then when he was born, the fact that he survived labour, and at that age, is very rare that they survive labour, but he did. And then he went on to survive for a whole forty-seven minutes on his own. So that, to me, indicates that he was older than they thought. Yeah. The second thing that indicates to me that he was older than they thought was his weight. So when he was born, he weighed five hundred and sixty grams. And the average weight of a 23-week-old baby is 500 grams. And the average weight of a 24-week-old baby um, is 600 grams, I, I believe, from the NH- that's on the NHS website. So he's in the middle there. Mm. Um, so again, it gives me Either weight. way, he was older than they had dated him to be. Yes, I believe so. And if they then decide... If they, if I, if they had... It's where I live. They can't... The hospital in my local area, they cannot deal with babies under, under 30 weeks. All they had to do was transfer me, transfer me to a hospital with an neonatal unit. And we're saying that, you know, some people might be listening and saying, you know, if you knew that they couldn't deal with babies under that time, why didn't you go to a a different hospital? But I guess the fact is, is that they should be the one to transfer you. You go to where the place is that you know, the place that has been dealing with you and you rely on the professionals to make that judgment call and make whatever movement it is that they need to make. So, yeah. In hindsight, I would, would have carried, I mean, I drove myself to the hospital. I would have carried on driving another half an hour up the road and gone to a hospital that has got a neonatal unit if I'd have known what I knew now. When yeah. I went to the hospital, I thought I had a urine infection. I didn't yeah. think for one second that I was in labour. And once I was there, I wasn't, they, I wasn't going anywhere and... It was in the middle of a p- the pandemic. It was the beginning yeah. of the pandemic. It was April 2020. It was one of the, probably one of the most scariest part of COVID. Of because the, yeah. Nobody knew anything at that point. We didn't know how bad it was. People were dying left, right and centre. Like nobody wanted to go to the hospital. Everyone was yeah. avoiding in the hospital like the plague. So, I mean, just by going to the hospital, I thought that was brave, you know. So, um, yeah definitely in hindsight would have gone and oh and even then I wish I was more forceful I look back now and wish I was more forceful with the doctors and said no I want a second opinion or no transfer me or no there must be other options I didn't I just listened to what they said I was in shock this is what I tried to explain since I was a mother in shock and they I was on my own and they thought it was acceptable to give me that information and think that I can digest that information and make informed decisions. Oh no choice. way. I've And I, I think, you know, as you said just now, 
you went in thinking that everything was fine with this pregnancy because where you'd had issues with pregnancy before was much earlier and <coughs> sorry was much earlier and um so you'd gotten past the 20 week stage you were in the home straight and you just thought as you said it was a urine infection or something as simple as that so first of all you've got the no it's not a urine infection you're actually in labor then you've got the we can't help you though because he's under a certain age um so essentially he's going to die and then you've got the you're going to have to um, give birth to him you can't have your husband here um and you're going to be alone for a little while so all of these things were coming at you one after the other and you was expected to be able to respond in an appropriate manner and I think that that as you've said is part of the tragedy of this whole thing um and I was going to also add because we spoke about it a bit earlier on about the inability to have flexibility particularly when there is a life concerned because irregardless as to whether or not those doctors and nurses felt or or that Zion would have survived the fact that he was born and he was born breathing they should have done something at least made an attempt to extend or prolong his life in some way um and I think you know even if they had at that point sent him over to where there was a neonatal unit you would have at least had 15 minutes of time to try and do something to help him and I think for me listening to your story and obviously I've heard your story before um, as to how you know we've come to do this um, I think for me that that is the biggest problem is having these numbers and this rigidity when what is in front of you is not saying that as soon as Zion was born and they realized he was breathing he'd gone against their textbook yeah. and their numbers and their rules and so there should have been a response to that that was different from the response that you yeah. received yeah there should have been I agree and this is why I'm still fighting for him now because I don't want any mother to have to go through what I went through and if I can save one child from this then oh, it'd be amazing because yeah they should have done more there was no doctor because he was live for nearly an hour no doctor no pediatrician consultant nobody came to see him they didn't mm. even check on his they said they would they didn't even know if they could have helped him or not because they didn't bother to come and see him it was just the midwives me and my sister and the midwives uh they didn't I mean and then even afterwards I was I stayed the night with him um he was yeah he was he he died at um just gone five just nearly five o'clock so I stayed the night with him um and they the one thing that they did give me is they had uh, a memory box from a, a charity called Sands um so they yeah. made plaster casts of his hands and his feet and did imprints of his hands and his feet for me um so that I'll always treasure and the mm. midwife who was with me on the day she was amazing she'd done everything that she could do herself and when he passed away, she done everything. She ran around. She went to everyone she could. She got my husband in. They let him in after after he passed away. So he got to meet his son after he'd passed away, um, not before. And at the time, again, at the time, I was so grateful because I was I, just, I, just, I was grateful just to have him with me at that time and for him to be with his son. It's only in hindsight now I feel a bit resentful that why didn't you let him in a few hours before and he could have met his son? Mm. But at the time I was remember feeling so grateful that they'd let him in. So he'd come in and they were taking um, doing these pasta cuts and she'd found 
a dress um, that was made out of old wedding dresses that was specifically for babies in this situation. I mean, he was so small, bless him. It didn't look, he looked like an angel in it. He's, he did, his arms were out, kept his arms up and, um, and he, I mean, his appearance changed so quickly after he passed away. He looked mm. like a different baby, um, but he did look like a bit of an angel in this. So, cause that was my thing as well. I wasn't expecting anything. So I didn't have any clothes for him or anything like that. And I just didn't want him to be left with nothing. So that was a good thing. They had that. Um, but that was probably the only support that I felt that I got from the hospital because after that um, I left the next day and I was due to have my 24 week checkup the following week. And I asked the question, do I need to contact them or will you do that? And they told me they would do that. But I still got the phone call from the community midwife the following week to uh, to do my checkup. And I, then I had to yeah. explain to her that my son passed away. And then I have to go for that. And then I, I end up having to console her <laughs> because she feels awkward now because she's made this phone call knowing that I'd lost my son. Um, yeah. my, my, my actual community midwife called me the day after I lost him and the day after I came out of the hospital. Um, I thought it would be to more of a physical checkup to, you know, to, to questions that you ask after you have a baby. It was more, yeah. it was just for her to pass on her condolences, basically. And that was it, which I was really confused about. But I was okay. Um, but that was it. That was, that was the only support I got. I didn't get any support, emotional support or anything like that. Um, I suffered PTSD at the time. I didn't know it was PTSD. I just kept having these really vivid flashbacks. It's only when I did do my own research that I realized, oh, it's PTSD. I suffered from anxiety. Again, I had to find my own support. Um, there were some leaflets in the box that they give you. Um, but I, again, I think it might be because it was in the middle of the pandemic. So you couldn't communicate with people like you used to. It was like an MSN message, which I found really impersonal. The internet connection cut out and had to start again. And I just, it just didn't work for me. I did, I did eventually um, come across a charity because the sad thing is a couple of months after I lost my son, that same friend who I didn't want to worry when I was in hospital, she went into labor and she had twins and she went into early labor. And after three weeks, one of her sons passed away. So, and she um, found this charity called Chums and she introduced me to this charity and this lady called Jan and they were amazing. They are amazing. And I can't recommend yeah. them enough to anybody, but I, I started with them because after losing my son, I, I went into what I call the zombie zone Yeah, because I was literally like a zombie. Um, for a long time and what I, was the impact on the household then of of that of so, you experiencing that yeah my mum came around my sister came around um it wasn't we didn't have a house full but yeah I had immediate family come around because yeah I was not in a fit state to to do much it was yeah. it was hard enough to get out of bed and um and I don't think that you need to explain yourself for that we can see in the news today that you know there's no need for you to explain yourself about having your family around to help you after you've just suffered such a trauma so I, I wouldn't even I don't even think you need to caveat that yeah to be fair yeah, yeah it was it was hard but it was more for my trip my, my my girls um they I was very conscious still that they still needed that social interaction. They still needed to know that they have that support because they knew that mummy wasn't right. Something was different. And we were very open with them that, you know, we had their baby brother and he'd passed away. My eldest, obviously, she could understand it better. My youngest mm-hmm. was only two and a half at the time. So, um, but she, she was my hero because she, not old enough to necessarily fully understand what was going on, but she knew something wasn't right. And she is a daddy's girl. Through and through, mm-hmm. daddy's girl. 
Um, but after that, when I came out of the hospital, she used to just, she would come and sit next to me and just stroke my arm. Didn't say anything. She'd just stroke my arm or she'd just hold my hand and mm. just sit with me. And she was literally, yeah, she literally, she saved me. But, um, and if I didn't have the kids, I'd, honestly, my heart goes out to people who experience this with their first baby. Because if this was my first yeah. baby, I don't think I would have ever got out of bed again. Um, but I had to, because I already had children. I had to get up and I had to look after them. Um, but I was like a zombie. I was, I was there, but I wasn't there. My mind wasn't there. I'd, I'd like to correct you. I think you would have gotten out of bed again. I think you feel that now because you know you had the support of your children. But hearing your story, I think that this uh, drive that you also have to help support others as well would have shone through once you'd managed to kind of not make sense of it, but at least calm down from the active trauma of it, of the situation. Yeah, I yeah. think... I think I struggled I struggled for a long time I'm still struggling it's still a journey like I keep saying it's a journey um I did I was I was a zombie for a little while and then I gave myself tasks lots of tasks I did the garden up I got married (laughs) I organized I I organized a wedding in three weeks (laughs) Uh, um because I I needed to give myself things to do to keep my mind occupied I also fell pregnant again quite quickly so I have uh, I had a rainbow baby. I have a rainbow baby, Marley. Um, but that pregnancy was very, very difficult. I was very, very ill with that. I had high premises. So I was in hospital for a couple of days at the beginning. Um, and then I had, um, well, my cervix started opening up with him as well. So I went into early labor with him too. Um, but I was just 24 weeks with him. So the care I got was completely different. Completely different. Was it the same hospital? Same hospital to the to a degree. So, um, but they the the hospital wasn't the greatest that hospital because the day they found out my cervix had opened the consultant had took me to the delivery suite and said look I need to have a st- stitch today is really important I have one um that they found on my 24-week scan that the only reason why I had that scan because I had to ask for it because they were only going to scan me up until 22 weeks but um so I'd got that scan luckily and it found out my cervix was open and then they left me in the hospital for nearly 12 hours before they did, they did anything um, to and fro and they kept telling me oh I had a bed and then it, oh no I've lost my bed um, so I have to wait for another bed and oh we're waiting for the ambulance that but actually I found out that one of the midwives who was supposed to look after me didn't want to do any overtime so she cancelled my um my my bed and my ambulance that's what had happened um and then so I'd been taken there I think like 11 o'clock in the morning it wasn't until half past 10 at night my ambulance came and took me to a hospital that was two and a half hours away. Um, mm. So, but when I got to that hospital, um, that was amazing. They were absolutely amazing. They're specialized in neonatal care. So um, they were absolutely amazing. I had my stitch put in, which I was told I had just in time, um, but it worked and he is here today. So there was lots of complications. Um, with that pregnancy it was very very scary obviously um, my milestone was to get to 24 weeks I had different milestones it was right let's get past seven weeks let's get past 12 weeks let's oh. get past 24 weeks right we've got it we've made it to a viable life right now we need to get to 30 weeks because then you know if you're born now then I know that you're gonna be okay and mm-hmm. so it was yeah um, but we got to 38 weeks because I always get induced two weeks early so we got away to 38 weeks and uh, yes he was here he was born on 21st of February 2021 so and that's mine. just been his birthday 
he yeah. just turned one yes yes so uh, he's my rainbow baby um and he is the reason why I kept going is one of the reasons why I had to keep going that I had to then look at self-care because I, I was neglecting myself um before I wasn't yeah I wasn't I wasn't like maybe eating properly and things like that um but as soon as I found out I was pregnant with him I had to look after myself because I had to look after him so in that he taught and that, that kind of leads me to um I guess a question on what you can kind of apart from obviously the support that people will be getting just from your story alone is what kind of what lessons or what tips could you give to other women and other families who may have experienced this or may be going through this in the future and I know that we plan to you know have this podcast series and there's going to be lots of advice and information for people um but just for now like what if you could have a couple of takeaways and I know you've mentioned self-care and putting yourself first but what would be you know a couple of other things that you may advise people or that you've learned on your journey I think my the strongest thing for me is trust your instincts trust your instincts know your own body